welcome to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pony. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, The Pody. I want to welcome everybody in to another brand new episode. This is a first. I believe this is episode 71 or 72. Let me just double check here. This is going to be episode 72. So this is a bit of an epic episode because... um, I've never done an episode on a Sunday before, so this is a first. I'm not happy that I'm doing it on this Sunday. First of all, um, I just want to let you guys know that I bought some new podcasting equipment, and I'm excited about that. I The stand that I bought did not come in yet, so I'm having to hold the mic, so I do hope that this sounds a little bit better. I bought an XLR mic and a mixer to kind of, um, you know, up the stakes a little bit. It's been, you know, this is episode 72, so I wanted to kind of, you know, brighten things up and progress a little bit. And um, so with that being said... We have NFL Sunday is about to kick off in about a half an hour. So unfortunately, everything that you hear, um, if you listen throughout the week, uh, it's going to be after the fact, and that's why I'm a little bummed out. I had a busy weekend. Call of Duty also came out on Friday. I had an eye doctor appointment. I was waiting for this podcasting equipment to come in. It came in this morning. I'm waiting for the stand still. So um, without further ado, guys, I do want to get into some college football. Unfortunately, I had this whole thing prepared where I was going to preview everything. And instead, you know, we're basically having to go over stuff that already happened and and that you guys already know took place yesterday. So um, first of all, I I just want to basically go over what was leading up to the games yesterday. And we'll start with Tua Tagovailoa, obviously the Alabama quarterback. He underwent surgery for high a high ankle sprain. It's not expected to be anything major. He's going to obviously he missed uh, yesterday's game against Arkansas. Clearly, they did not need him um, as they won the you know their thirty first straight home game. I believe it was. So this, the procedure was performed last Sunday morning. He has a one to two week recovery window. Um, and it's obviously very convenient because they just played two and five Arkansas, and then they have a bye week before a huge showdown on November uh, November 9th, excuse me, with LSU, who um, is uh, going to give them that's they're going to be their toughest test of the season. Uh, but this is a pretty this is pretty vintage Nick Saban. Take a listen to what he had to say when this reporter um, asked Nick Saban a pretty um, foolish question, if you ask me. Will there be an effort to get Talia into the game just to expedite his uh his progression? You know, we're 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 focused on winning the game. All right, so we're we're gonna try to win the game and we're gonna play the best players that we can play to win the game. And we're not assuming that it's gonna be an easy game. All right, and we're not assuming that we'll have opportunity just to play anybody that wants to play to expedite anything except winning the game. So we're gonna play everybody who can expedite winning the game. That's what, that's what we're going to do. So I don't think anybody should expect us to do anything else. 
as he takes his papers and promptly walks off the podium stage. Uh, yeah, they're talk. This reporter obviously asking about Talia, which is uh, Tua's brother, freshman quarterback. Um, he was asking if he is going to basically get into the game kind of to because obviously Tua is going to be gone soon to the NFL and they're you know talking about expediting his process to see him a little bit so maybe for next year or whatever and that's just stupid and like Nick Saban pointed out you play to win the game okay um and if he gives you the best opportunity to win the game okay if not then he won't play. And that's usually how it goes. If you're Nick Saban and Alabama, they have just a, a ton of talent um, on both sides of the football. And when it's your turn to play, you will play. And, and in fact, you know, um, it's funny because he did end up playing late in this game. Um, Talia did. And he went six, four, eight for with 48, uh, 45 yards passing. Um, but it was all it, it was all uh, Mac Jones that started in this one, and it didn't matter because they beat Arkansas 48-7. to Okay, um, next up I want to uh, talk about a former college football coach, and that would be Mark Richt, recovering from a heart attack. The former Georgia and Miami coach announced the news himself, and he said he's doing fine, thankfully. Um, he said he would be back at work this week as he serves as an analyst for the ACC Network. Um, I want to talk about last week, some of the last week's games. Unfortunately, this got all messed up, so now I'm talking about last week's games, and I've kind of got to talk about this week's games as well, but Penn State, they beat Michigan 28-21. to Jim Harbaugh was very critical of the refs afterwards. Uh, they were getting blown out early, I think, in this one, like 21-0. They did make a nice comeback, but um, uh, he was very critical of the refs, like I said. There was a couple specific calls he was not happy about. There was a hold call, um, some plays where he believed the receivers were being tackled to the ground, and a pivotal, uh, pivotal, pivotal, offensive interference call but he did sum it up well on Monday by saying he learned a long time ago that the only thing fair is the county fair haha ha. but no he's absolutely right you can blame the refs for so much but it's your execution that you the product you put on the field that ultimately um, is the reason that you did not win the game uh, to make matters a little bit worse though in, in this one for Michigan is that quarterback Shea Patterson um, said that he was poked in the eye during a quarterback sneak attempt in, in the fourth quarter um, at the bottom of the pile. He said that a Penn State player had his finger jammed in his eye for like 10 seconds. I've never been in a pile as violent as that one. Got the touchdown, but that wasn't fun. That's what uh, Shea Patterson had to say. Whether that actually happened or not, um, I'm not sure because that scrum, you could not see anything. It's impossible to tell what happened at the bottom of that pile, but it would not uh, surprise me. You heard of guys in the NFL talking about this all the time. Uh, there's some things that happen at the bottom of those piles. Um, you're just trying to get to the football. You're trying to do whatever it takes, and and, and so that stuff is, is bound to happen. The dirty the dirty plays are definitely um, a, a thing of, of uh, nature that are going to that is going to happen in this violent game but in any case Penn State uh, they remained unbeaten and um, 
That would continue through to week nine. I'll get to that in a second, some of those notable games. Okay, um, Michigan, they were going to have to bounce back quickly because they hosted number eight Notre Dame last night, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, actually, yeah, let's go over that scoreboard, the, the, that scoreboard for this week right now. Um, some top 25 matchups you had. SMU on Friday night, that was a thriller. They, beat, they come away uh, beating Houston. They got a crucial fourth down stop at the end of this game with under a minute or so left. They beat Houston 34-31. to 31. The upset of the week was number five, Oklahoma. They lose 48-41 to to unranked Kansas State. This was a thriller in the Big 12 and around the country. Um, Kansas State almost blew this game. This was almost an epic comeback for Oklahoma. It was like 48-30, to something like that at one point. Oklahoma comes all the way back, and then it came down to an onside kick. Oklahoma recovered the onside kick, but further replays did show that at about the nine and a half um, yard mark, the ball ricocheted and caromed off, I believe it was an elbow or, or a leg of one of the Oklahoma players and, and caromed downfield. And that's when Oklahoma was able to jump on it. So it was the play was reversed. Uh, Kansas State took over and they kneeled the ball and basically ended the game there. So, uh, yeah, that was a thriller. Oklahoma, their first loss. We'll see how that affects them in the rankings. You had number 20, Iowa. Um, funny thing is they scored 20 points, and they shut out Northwestern by a final of 20 to nothing. That was a Big Ten matchup there. Another crucial Big Ten matchup with Wisconsin coming off the one-point loss to Illinois. Wisconsin had not... Um, lost the game all season and they were they had not lost the lead in any game all season long. Uh, they were a 30 point favorite against Illinois and it was a last second field goal that gave Illinois the 24 23 uh, victory and, and then they had to come back bounce back and play Ohio State in a matchup of top 15 teams and it was not pretty Ohio State covered and, and I gotta I gotta um start betting on Ohio State because I'm on the Rutgers bandwagon and, um, you know, Ohio State has been as good as advertised, if not better. Um, their young football coach, Ryan Day, has not lost a game in his career. Um, he interim coached a bit last year and he's now, I believe, 11 and 0 in his career as as Ohio State's uh, head coach. So, um, yeah, they're, they're just unbelievable. They're on the fast track for a national championship right now, guys. Um, you can mark that one up. But they get the victory 38-7. to The spread was 14.5, and they just dominated um, that football game from start to finish. You had number 21, Apps, Appalachian State. Uh, they beat South Alabama 30-3. to You had number 23, Iowa State, losing to an unranked Oklahoma State, another battle of Big 12 teams. Then undefeated Penn State, they beat Michigan State 28-7. to um, Michigan State, they're having a tough go of things uh, this year, 4-4. Four and four. Uh, My dad tried telling me coming into the season that the preview was trying to say that Penn, uh, Michigan State was going to win the Big Ten. I wasn't buying that for a second, and I guess he was wrong from what he uh, read or if he actually believed that. I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, so then another matchup, which I was surprised in, in this Minnesota versus uh, Maryland matchup, number 17 ranked Minnesota coming off a um, victory against Rutgers. They beat them handily, but they, they looked sloppy in that game against Rutgers. They tried to run the ball uh, way too much, 
and, and um, they pulled away late because Rutgers just did Rutgers things. But uh, this spread was like 16 and a half. And I thought, you know what, Maryland covering 16 and a half, that's a lot of points. I thought maybe they could pull it off. Well, it wasn't even close. They get blown out. Minnesota wins 50, excuse me, 52 to 10. And, um, you know, they are still unbeaten at 8 and 0. And I believe they have an upcoming uh, tilt with um, Penn State. So that's going to be a matchup of unbeatens um, on Saturday, November 9th. So that should be very interesting. We're going to have two matchups of undefeated teams in Alabama and LSU, and then Penn State, Minnesota. So keep an eye on those games. Then you had number two LSU against number nine Auburn. This one was a nail biter, but LSU holds on for the 23 to 20 victory. So they remain unbeaten, like I just said. You had unranked TCU knocking off number 15, Texas, 37-27. Like I said, Alabama blew out Arkansas. You had Clemson blowing out Boston College, 59-7. And then Michigan, after the loss that they had a week ago, they come all the way back and they absolutely obliterate number eight Notre Dame, 45-14. to And I saw a stat on Notre Dame versus um, ranked opponents in the last 10 contests or something to that effect, they have an under uh, 500 record. Uh, they're like 9 and 10 or not, no, 9 and 11 in their last 20, I believe it was. Um, so yeah, just not very, not good numbers if you're Notre Dame there. Um, so huge win for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan, huge bounce back win um, for them. And then finally, uh, last couple of ranked games, you had uh, number 24, Arizona State. They lost to unranked UCLA. Chip Kelly gets another nice win there, 42-32. to 32. You had number 12, Utah, blanking Cal, 35 to nothing. And then in a game that lasted, um, that ended after 1, 1 a.m. last night, I think the start of the fourth quarter was at 1 a.m. on the eastern coast, east coast. You had number 11, Oregon, hosting uh, unranked Washington State, Mike Leach's football team there. Um, that kid, Anthony Gordon, I believe his name is, has been unbelievable for Washington State. I've looked at his numbers, and throughout the year, this kid has been just absolutely lights out. I don't believe that he's thrown for, um, he threw for under 300 yards in one game, and that was at at Utah, and obviously they're a very tough ranked opponent. Every other game, he's thrown for at least 369 yards. I mean, that is unbelievable. We all know what Gardner Minshew is doing in the NFL right now for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They will be taking on my Jets in a little while here. Um, but yeah, Washington State, they know how to produce quarterbacks. But yeah, that one went down to the wire. And then number 11, Oregon, they come back and pull off yet another nail biter. Um, in the final seconds, they get this one on a 23-yard uh, field goal or 26-yard field goal to win the game. And um, 30 that was a final of 37 to uh, 35. So uh, we had a couple teams on by. You had number 14, Baylor. They're 7-0. and 22, Boise State. 18, Cincinnati. Florida was off. Georgia was off. And Wake Forest all on buys. Um, it looks to be a very fun week 10 with a bunch of, um, like I said, two uh, uh, two top 10 matchups or two uh, top 25 matchups uh, with both teams undefeated. That should be unbelievable. Um, I can't wait for that. Uh, that should be very fun. But uh, yeah, that's that's going to basically um, wrap up our college football talk. I'm going to come back after the break and we are going to talk about some NFL 
action. Obviously, it is Sunday, so NFL is taking place in just a bit. So we will take a quick break, and then we will come back with some NFL talk. Um, I'm going to have to try to really speed through this one because it's going to be one of the longer episodes just basically because of everything that's going on and because it's Sunday and everything that happened on Friday and Saturday in the sports world. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come right back and we'll get into our NFL previews. I'll go over some stuff from last week and and then um, get into everything to expect from this week in the NFL, which I believe is week, week eight. Yeah, it should be week eight. Okay, so quick break. We'll uh, come back and we'll get into the NFL. Okay, guys, so we are back and we're going to talk NFL action. Um, So like I said, being that it is Sunday, we have a lot of football going on today. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the Falcons and their quarterback, Matt Ryan, a week ago. He left the game with an ankle injury early in the fourth quarter after he was sacked for the fifth time in the game. He limped to the locker room, did not return. He has been ruled out for this week's game. Matt Schaub is expected to start. There is no um, reason to really rush Matt Ryan back when the team is 1-6 and six playing a very good 5-2 and two Seahawks team. Next up, let's talk about the Steelers and their linebacker who was arrested during their bye week. It's a shame because it's almost like you can never keep an eye on these NFL players. You can't take your eye off them for just a split second. It's like they need to be constantly working every single week. And of course, on the bye week, Anthony Ciccolo was arrested Sunday morning. Uh, charged with simple assault, criminal mischief, and harassment. He signed a two-year, $8 million contract before the season. The commissioner placed him on the exempt list. He allegedly, basically this was a domestic violence with his girlfriend at a Pennsylvania casino. They had a big altercation. So um, yeah, more to come on that later, I guess. If you're a Steelers fan, um, you'll be paying attention to that, but really not a big name guy or anything like that. And the Steelers are two and four and they will play the Miami Dolphins on Monday night. Next up, the Cowboys, they bounce back in a big way. They crushed the Eagles on Sunday night football, 37 to 10 to take control of the NFC East. They stopped their three game skid heading into this week's bye. Um, So yeah, big time win on Sunday night football on the big stage in front of America. Great, great win for Jason Garrett and his team. And I'm pretty sure Doug Peterson would like to take those comments back. Is it the worst loss since he's been in Philly? Well, he was asked this question. See what he had to say. It's either one or two, yes. Yeah. Why is it one or two worst losses in your team since you've been there? Well, because uh, you guaranteed a victory and then came out and got destroyed by 27 points, and the game was over basically before it even started. Also, for the first time under Doug Peterson, they've allowed 30 points in consecutive games, and in a head-scratching move, in my opinion, uh, pretty much everybody thinks thinks of this as well, the Eagles released cornerback Orlando Skandrick for the second time this season. He made it nearly all the way through training camp um, back in the offseason before they decided to cut him. They then brought him back prior to week five after two of their other cornerbacks were were injured and had to be shelved. And he really, he's played 
a high percentage of snaps. He's done a very decent job played in those in those three games. I mean, he graded out as a 91.7 player rating, but I guess Doug Peterson uh, kind of had to put the blame on somebody. And so here's a scandrick. He went on undisputed with Skip and Shannon on Fox Sports, and he said he felt it was scapegoatish, like he was the scapegoat that they had to blame somebody, and they decided to put that blame on him. But here's what he had to say: some interesting things from Orlando Scandrick on basically what he feels is going on with the Eagles right now, and they're losing ways. It's a little bit long, but just just take a listen. It's very intriguing. How much dissension did you feel in the defensive huddle as things unraveled at Minnesota and then at Dallas? Was there any talking? Was there any no, I clashing? Think, I think on defense, I think they, they have stuck together pretty good. I think there's some selfish people on that defense, though. Do you? Absolutely. I mean, I think that Rasul Douglas, who's a, a good friend of mine, I think mm-hmm. he, he took some unwanted heat for some blown coverages on some other people's selfish play. Hmm. And we don't even have to say names. Yeah, yeah we do. I know no, you know about it. We don't have to say names at all. They know who they are. Mm. Well, you're not talking about... He played about... in the middle of that. Let's, let's just say he's not a corner. <laughs> I believe it at that. He's not a corner. Shannon, you know football. <laughs> I do know football. Mm. And Skip, you've watched you a lot know, of football. Oh, I know a lot of football. So I think... It might know? have been the guy that got ran over, Skip. I don't mm. know, but it might have been him. Hmm. Guy named Jenkins, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know. Malcolm <laughs> Jenkins? Maybe that's who we're maybe, talking about. Maybe we talk about Roscoe Jenkins. Maybe we're Roscoe. Paul Roscoe Jenkins. Could, but I mean, yeah. So uh, gotta love it there. Yeah, they're absolutely talking about Malcolm Jenkins. And well, let's see. Uh, the guy from Piscataway, New Jersey, up the block from me, who who went to Ohio State, who has won Super Bowls. Um, I believe he's won two. Uh, at least the one with the Eagles. But. Um, yeah, just a guy that loves to protest the playing of the national anthem with the with his fist in the air and all sorts of things like that. And, and yeah, um, and he is a selfish guy, according to Orlando Scandrick. And he thinks that, of course, he was a scapegoat. And I'm I'm actually glad because I can't stand the Philadelphia Eagles. Really, I could care less for any of those teams in the NFC East. But uh, very interesting that they. Um, that that he, you know he has words for them like that and and it's the second week in a row that the eagles decided to basically go out there uh get blown up they lost to the jets as well then the uh, the game with the vikings and they cut they cut a player for the second straight week um the linebacker last week who had the words about um Kirk Cousins and all that with his time playing there slipping my mind the guy's name right now but uh yeah there there is some dissension going on in Philly and, and Things are going great when you're winning, but when you are losing, it is, you know, it, it's it's not good. And um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with Orlando Skandrick. If he could find himself, if he could, uh, you know, find himself a job on another team as the season progresses, as guys get injured and things of that nature. Okay, so um, let's talk real quick about that mess of, of the mud bowl that they're calling it there with between the 49ers and the Redskins. Okay. Um, last Sunday, it was just pouring. It was, um, unwatchable game for the most part. There were zero touchdowns at FedEx field. Uh, it was the shortest NFL game in almost a decade, if you can believe that. And Richard Sherman was not too happy with the field conditions. They did come away with a win to remain unbeaten, but, um, he said that, 
That's as bad as I've seen. Everything was going bad. After the game, his teammates decided to treat the field as a little bit of a slip and slide. But here's what Sherman had to say because he wasn't having any of it. Yeah, I saw all those guys running and, and diving on the ground. I was like, eh, I got out of this one healthy. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to observe and then jog to the sideline. Um, but it was fun, man. It was, it was, you know, Mud Bowl 2019 champions, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so pretty funny stuff there. It's all good when you're winning. I, I, I keep trying to reiterate that. But when you're, you're going bad and you're losing in an NFL um, capacity, when there's only 16 games to a season, it can be very, very frustrating. And uh, so things are all are going all all um, the grass is greener on the other side right now. You know, all all roses and daisies for for the 49ers as they just continue to uh, to to stay unbeaten. They're the top team in the NFC right now. So congrats to them. Uh, let's move right along. We'll talk Kareem Hunt. You haven't heard his name in a couple of months, but he was able to return finally to practice on Monday of this past week. He is serving an eight-game suspension for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Obviously, he has spent much of his suspension rehabbing after under he underwent um, a little surgical repair of a sports hernia in late August. So he will look to be back on the field, I think, in week 10 when the Browns face the Bills. I don't necessarily know what his role is going to be because they have Nick Chubb, who seems to be their workhorse running back, but the Browns are not playing up to par with what people expected with this group of guys bringing in OBJ and Baker Mayfield in his second year and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb's second year. And they're just, they were supposed to be, you know, Super Bowl contenders this year. But I told everybody, I told them, pump the brakes. This is the same Browns that we have known and grown accustomed to for the past couple of decades. So just watch out for that. And yeah, they've proved to be nothing special they have I think two wins they beat the Jets that I mean they they haven't done much um in, in terms of showing up that and showing anybody that they are capable of uh doing much this season so we'll see if they can turn things around and, and see what the role will be for Kareem Hunt when he comes back uh let's move on talk about the Giants there was another rainy game there uh at MetLife against um Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals uh the Giants did not win this game. They got outplayed once again, this time by fellow rookies Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, the rookie quarterback, the rookie coach. Um, so the Giants have now lost three games in a row, and Daniel Jones, after that miraculous 18-point deficit that he overcame with his fir- in his first game without Saquon Barkley against the Bucks, all that good stuff, uh, he has definitely looked like a rookie quarterback, turning the ball over a lot. And it's something you have to take in strides. And here's what Pat Shermer had to say in regards to Daniel Jones' play. Pat, just, just because it, it's sort of been floated out there in a couple of quadrants, um, uh, would you consider a quarterback change if the turnovers don't improve or the play doesn't improve? No. no I think Daniel's going to learn from everything that's going on. And just like all the other rookies in their plan are going to learn from the things that happen. But you have to learn and you have to win games. And I'm well aware of that. I'm totally well aware of that. So, yeah, um, no no chance that they are going to go back to Eli. And that was the notion. I mean, that's what everybody knew. As soon as they named Eli, uh, excuse me, as soon as they named Daniel Jones the starter and they decided, okay, we're going to bench Eli. Here you go. You had a great career. We don't want you to get another loss. Keep your record at 500 going into the Hall of Fame or whatever. When they made that switch, 
that was it. They were all in because you cannot then go back to the veteran in Eli Manning because that would look just so horrible, just super bad. So, um, yeah, they are going to ride this Daniel Jones train for as long as it takes them. Uh, we know rookies have struggled in the past. Uh, we, we absolutely know that. Um, every rookie has struggled uh, from Peyton Manning to uh, Brett Favre to Troy Aikman. I I mean, just everybody. It's not an easy road because when you are drafted as a rookie, as a top five, top 10 pick, it usually means your team was not good the year prior. So in your rookie year or even your second year, you're still on a bad team that's trying to fill the void and trying to put playmakers around you, trying to build an offensive line, trying to add weapons at receiver and tight end. And it could be a process. And that's what we're seeing here with Daniel Jones. The Giants are not a good foot football team, okay? And we're not going to sit here, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh my God, Daniel Jones, he was great in the first game, but now he's just an epic bust. And I told you, and Sam Darnold is better than Daniel Jones because those two guys are going to get compared to each other for their whole careers, right? Both New York quarterbacks. Um, But no, let's pump the brakes. We're not going to Monday morning quarterback this. He is still a rookie quarterback and he's still going to develop and he's still going to learn. He does a lot of good, but he also does a lot of bad. And with a lot of rookie quarterbacks, the speed of the game is a little bit um, tough for them to pick up and they're not too necessarily used to it and they're going to fumble a little bit and they're not going to see those hits coming and they're going to take those bigger hits and and, you know they're going to turn the ball over and they're going to throw it into double and triple coverage sometimes as Daniel Jones did against the Cardinals giving them their first interception so um, yeah Pat Shermer he's all in on Daniel Jones and they're going to ride him the rest of the season Um, speaking of the New York teams let's talk about uh, the New York Jets because I don't know even if the Dolphins are playing any worse than the New York Jets right now. This could be the worst team in the NFL. It was absolutely fool's gold that game against Dallas. Dallas just was not ready for the Jets. They were overshadowing that game. They were looking ahead to the matchup on Sunday Night Football with the Eagles last week. The Jets are pathetic. I thought finally with Darnold coming back in his mono game, the Jets would turn things around and they would be able to actually compete with the Patriots. A lot of teams were picking them to cover the nine and a half point spread. And I was thinking I was one of those guys. I I was like, you know what? The way they played against Dallas, who is a very good team. Obviously we saw their dismantling of the Eagles. They are a good team. They're a first place playoff contending NFC East leading team at four and three. Okay. And the Jets beat them. They blew a 21-3 lead and almost lost the game, but they still won the game for their first win of the season. So coming into this game, they seemed to have a little bit of momentum and things started to be pushing in the right direction. Maybe a tough schedule, you know, a tough game here, but then maybe the schedule eases up a little bit and maybe they could run the table and get some wins in there and maybe get to six and six and, and see where this thing is, this train is going. Well, they got sincerely embarrassed on Monday night football losing this one 33 to nothing to the Patriots it's no shocker that the Patriots won the game because I didn't think I thought the Jets had a decent chance but I didn't I wasn't gonna you know be one of these mindless Jets fans these crazy you know fans that is gonna think that oh my god yeah I'm gonna lay all this money on the Jets they're gonna win this thing by no stretch of the imagination did I think that they were going to win the game I thought that maybe they had a decent chance if things went right um I've 
known this rivalry for many years, and I've seen the Jets beat the Patriots in the playoffs with Bart Scott and, and things of that nature. Um, the last team to beat the Patriots at home in the playoffs actually is the Jets, um, and it seems like it was a, te- a decade ago because it basically was. So I've seen the Jets be able to beat the Patriots, you know, split the season series. You know, they play twice, they're in the division. I've seen them be able to split. Even in times of Geno Smith, they had a chance. But boy, oh boy, was this game bad. Darnold threw an interception on his first pass attempt of the game for the second time in his career. He did that in his first game ever against the Detroit Lions, also on Monday Night Football, but that one went for a pick six. This was a six-turnover night in which Sam Darnold threw four interceptions and was also captured on audio because he was wearing the microphone um, on this day. And he was captured on audio saying, I'm seeing ghosts out there. Now, this blew up. This went crazy. This went viral all over the internet of Sam Darnold saying that he was seeing ghosts out there. People need to pump the brakes just a little bit. They don't understand the term. It is a football term. It doesn't mean necessarily that he's scared. Um, I'm going to play a clip of Brett Favre kind of explaining what that term means and and going over that in depth. But here it was for Darnold, just an ugly night, probably his worst game of his young NFL career. 11 of 32 for 86 yards, no touchdowns, and four interceptions. Um, One more thing on that audio, too, that um, is that Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase voiced their their displeasure with the fact that the clip was even aired on ESPN. Now, they explained how this stuff works. NFL Films is in sole control of whether that audio gets aired. There was a rep on site that approved ESPN to play the audio. According to people at NFL Films that are high up on the food chain now, they were not happy that this rep even okayed this and that this was aired at all. Because obviously when a player is mic'd up, they're going to say all sorts of stuff. They're going to curse. They're going to yell F-bombs and this and that. you got to have your discretion on what can be aired and what can't. And they they threw this guy out to the wolves by airing this. And um, Darnold took light of it afterwards. But I just this is an important clip. I want you to understand um, this is Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre sort of uh, kind of explaining exactly what that term means and how it works in, ter- in terms of football. Here it is. That's a term that Mike Holmgren would say to me quite often my first uh, one, two, three years with the Packers. It, it, it's not a new uh, term. Uh, quite frankly, I'm not surprised. Uh, a young player, quarterback especially, will have a tendency to see ghost. You know, you hear the term a lot. You know, it's slowing down for him. And, and that is kind of the opposite of seeing ghost. You know, you go from one level, high school to college, college to pros. Um, and, and each, each time, um, there's, there's sort of a maturation level. Um, you know, in high school, you may have one or two really good players, either on your side or the other side. College, then you got eight, you know, maybe nine, maybe 11 which would be rare. But then when you get to the pros, you know, that, that pool of good, really good players becomes bigger. And so you're facing more exotic defenses or better talent. And the speed of the game is, is fast. This is a learning curve for him. I, I don't know Sam Darnold, just my interpretation of, of what I see. I think he's going to be really good, you know, if he can survive the onslaught, you know. You know, seeing Ghost is... I thought the guy was blitzing. 
you know, I saw the safety back up and the deep coverage. And then you watch the film. That's not the case. And it's, and it's really nothing other than being a young player, being exposed to a lot of stuff, and really not so much thrown to the wolves. I don't think Adam Gates did anything wrong. You know, you got to go in and play. you, you got to go with all your guns blazing. And if he makes mistakes, he makes mistakes. The key is that you learn from him, and you're going to make more. You know, he's going to see more ghosts. And, you know, over time, the, the thought is that you see less and less, and you become very familiar with your offense. And I think that's something that, that's often overlooked. I mean, this is a new offense to him. Yeah, so there you have it. Very important take there from a veteran Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's given it to you and um, basically explaining all that. And yeah, what he said is he thought being basically seeing ghosts is you think that the guy's blitzing and he's not, and so you have quick feet, and it was just a nightmarish game, an absolute nightmarish game, and um, the Jets are going to need to bounce back and get this thing turned around quickly. I don't think they will. I don't think they're going anywhere. They are just dealing with a whole mess of uh, of an offensive line that just can't do anything, and um, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna get ugly f- before it gets any better. And I'm glad that Brett Favre thinks that Sam Darnold is gonna be a good quarterback because I just don't know anymore. The turnovers are mounting up. I see a lot of good, but I see too much bad. And I don't know if that's even worse coaching that's putting him in a bad spot or if that's just what he is seeing on the field and he feels that he has to just make a play and make things happen, I don't know. I don't think the Jets have enough playmakers. I think they need to just blow this thing up. I just don't know. I think it starts with ownership, and the owners are pathetic, and they do not know what they're doing. They let a guy in Mike McCagnin draft this this class and then they fire him and bring in Joe Douglas. Who does that? If you're going to basically start over and bring in a new GM, you do not by any means let the old GM draft players. You let the new GM do that. So it's it's just it makes no sense. And then they basically let Adam Gase form uh you know form a coup and, and, and oust. Uh, McCagnin, and then he was the interim GM. It's just a disgrace. This team is as bad as it gets, and the New England Patriots are the class of the league. It's why they win Super Bowls every year. It's why they are a guarantee to make it to the um, to make it to the AFC Championship every single year. It, it's just unbelievable. Um, and then. The Patriots, just one thing on them, they have now outscored the Jets and Dolphins 76-0 to in its two road games this season, and I believe if the offense didn't even step on the field this year, this is how good the defense has played, they would be 3-3-1, and something ridiculous like that. And meanwhile, the Jets can barely win a game, it's just pathetic. Uh, I'm disgusted. Uh, I don't even know what to do or think anymore about this franchise. It's as bad as it gets. And if you're a New York sports fan, what is there to look forward to anymore? What, the, the New York Yankees in, in April, when the, when players report to spring training in March? I mean, seriously, we've got a ways to go if you're a New York sports fan. Maybe my Brooklyn Nets can, can prove otherwise and, and, and turn, you know, and give us something to look forward to. But um, yeah, it is... It has just not been pretty for the New York Jets at all. And um, let's let's stick with the Patriots. We know how good their defense is. Their offense is a little bit banged up. That's that's the other thing why people thought the Jets even had a slimmer of hope is because the offense was struggling a little bit. Some injuries there. 
Well, not only that, they decided to go out and make a trade for the Falcons wide receiver, Mohamed Sanu. And um, this was another great move by Bill Belichick and the Patriots because they went out there and they got a, you know, a number two that lined up again uh, alongside Julio Jones was in a Super Bowl against these Patriots. He's another Rutgers guy because Bill Belichick loves him some Rutgers guys. Okay. And it was just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant move. And, you know, Mohamed Sanu was talking about it. I don't know if he was joking or not, but um, the Patriots sent a second round pick a little bit high for them, but apparently um, the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, who used to coach him, he was the OC with the Falcons, were pretty high on Sanu trying to make calls as well. So uh, Bill Belichick decided to just give them the second round pick. And also because a couple of guys walked in free agency, there's a rule there and whatnot. The Patriots are going to get two, I think, second round picks back in return for players that left. Something to that effect. Uh, You could look it up if you want. I read it earlier in the week. But uh, this all makes sense now, though, because Josh Gordon was soon after that trade was made. Josh Gordon was placed on IR. He will miss the remainder of the season. Although I heard something to the effect that in like one to two weeks, they're going to cut Josh Gordon and then he could be a free agent to sign elsewhere. So I don't know if this is necessarily a season-ending knee injury or not. It happened in that first Jets game, I believe, trying to make a tackle on an interception. But Sanu, um, he was asked by report, he was talking to reporters, and he actually uh, was making a joke about Tom Brady letting him have the number twelve jersey. Take a listen. Uh, he, uh, he he DM'd me when I, when I first uh, got traded. He said welcome and everything like that. How he excited. And then uh, he said, if I wanted 12, you know, I can get it. I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you, you got that. I, I, I'll change the 14. Did you ever offer him anything? No. <laughs> I, just, I just go out there and I do my job and let him be great. <laughs> Yeah, um, great answer for Mohamed Sanu. And like I said, it's just another uh, Rutgers player that Bill Belichick now adds to his team. He's going to be basically a top receiver for them right now because Julian Edelman's banged up. You know, they've got Rex Burkhead banged up. Just a bunch of, you know, injuries there, and they will just continue to plug and play, and he's going to do his thing, and he's going to be excellent. Tom Brady is going to get him the ball, and he's going to do his thing. And it's going to be – it's going to be – not fun to watch for me per se, but it's going to be tor- it's going to be torturous for the rest of the league. So watch out. The Patriots just got a little bit better. And then they also, they didn't stop there, but they decided to trade Michael Bennett to the Cowboys the other day for a seventh round pick, which can improve to a sixth round pick this in 2021. So the deal there was obviously, if you guys remember back, Michael Bennett was suspended for one game against the Jets on that Monday night because he had a big time disagreement with his position coach. He's not playing enough. He thinks he deserves to play more something to that effect so with that being said the Patriots are like yeah you can't cut it in New England you want to talk smack and you don't want to do it the, the Patriot way essentially then we're going to just trade you and that's what they did they traded him to the Cowboys so I guess he'll help the Cowboys as they try to you know win that division the 49ers I spoke about them trying to trade for Mohamed Sanu they did in fact go out there and get themselves a new wide receiver this one, um, Emmanuel Sanders, the former Broncos wide receiver, who is 32 years old. He has 30 receptions for 367 yards and two touchdowns so far on the season. And it makes sense with the Broncos struggling at two and five and the 49ers sitting atop the NFC as the lone undefeated team, like I said earlier. So it does kind of make sense.
sense for both teams. The way the AFC uh, West is is shaping up, the Broncos are not really going anywhere this year. So um, yeah, they you know they make the trade and they recoup a third and fourth round pick um, in next spring's 2020 uh, draft. Oh, excuse me. The Bron- Yeah, so the Bron- Sorry, I didn't f- disclose the full details of this. The Broncos traded Sanders and a 2020 fifth round pick to San Francisco in exchange. They get a third and fourth round pick in the upcoming 2020 draft. So not a bad haul for a 32-year-old receiver who's going to help the 49ers in the immediate right now. Okay, um, let's move on and let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. This guy is a freak of nature. We all know he dislocated his his leg, his kneecap on his um, knee about a week and a half ago, okay? But he was seen back at practice just six days after dislocating the knee. On Wednesday, he was on the field taking the fourth team reps. On Thursday, he was taking second team reps. And offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy said, Pat looks like Pat. That is unbelievable that coming off such a major injury like that, that he is able to step up and come back to practice just six days later. It is unbelievable that he didn't, you know, receive any any season-ending ligament damage or anything like that. Um, He's not going to play tonight against the Packers, but that three-week timetable that everybody was talking about, it looks like it's a very good possibility that he can come back next week. So keep an eye on that. And then uh, speaking of injured quarterbacks, Drew Brees, he is coming back this week. It, um, he's been dealing with that thumb injury. He's healed up pretty good. And it's got to be a little bit tough for Teddy Bridgewater. He warmed the seat for him pretty well, just went 5-0. and And my Saints, uh, they're looking like Super Bowl contenders. I picked them at the beginning of the season to win the Super Bowl. They have just one loss in the NFC. And if you play, if they play the 49ers today... I would be shocked if they lost to the 49ers because I'm still not 100% sold on Jimmy G and what the 49ers are building. They have a nice run game there now that Tevin Coleman is back and things of that nature, but I don't necessarily know. If you're going Drew Brees, Jimmy G, I'm taking Drew Brees all day long. So we'll see how he fares today in an um, in his first game back in like six weeks. Okay, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Thursday night game that took place a couple days ago between the Vikings and the Redskins. This was a typical Thursday night game, a little bit low scoring, final of 19-9. to The Vikings do get the win, as everybody would expect, right? Well, uh, Kirk Cousins was playing versus his former team. This was basically the storyline. It was Kirk Cousins versus his old team, Adrian Peterson versus his old team. And both players fared pretty well. Kirk Cousins got the better of um, of AP in this one, basically. Um, not a whole lot of scoring. Case Keenum had to be replaced. He had a bit of a concussion or a um, head injury he was being evaluated for, put in the concussion protocol. So they brought in Dwayne Haskins right at the start of the third quarter. I think Case Keenum got hurt on like the final drive of the second quarter of the first half on a sack fumble. He um, So Dwayne Haskins comes in, goes three for five, 33 yards passing and one interception. He has now attempted 22 passes this season and thrown four interceptions. So again, rookie pains, you know, those growing pains are going to be tough. It's that maturation level. It's going to take some time to develop these young guys. And you can't fault him too much. He was thrown into a game against the Wolves that the Minnesota Vikings have a very stout, solid defense. Okay. They have a very good front line. Um, yeah. So this, that, that was a tough one for him getting thrown in there. And uh, also of note in this game, 
Adrian Peterson became the sixth leading rusher in NFL history, surpassing LaDainian Tomlinson and Jerome Bettis. Okay, and um, what else did I want to say about that? Yeah, Kirk Cousins, he looked good. He threw for just under 300 yards. Dalvin Cook was a beast in this game. He he went off. He did a good job. And um, so, yeah, the Vikings, ever since I called them out in that game against the Giants, I said that was their season right there. They need to turn it around right now. They have done nothing but win every game since then, and they have looked very good doing it. Beat the Eagles 38 to like 20 last week. They, they've done a good job. They've looked very good. Okay, uh, let's go jump back to the Jets really quick. There, There's an ugly mess brewing between them and Kalechi Semele. Okay, the Jets decided to continue to fine him and um, because Osemele wanted shoulder surgery because he has not been playing well. He got a Toradol shot, and it's just not helping, and he was basically about to be benched or was benched, and he just wasn't playing as good as he felt he could be because of the injury. He decided to get a second and third opinion from doctors and then elected to go ahead and get surgery on his labrum. Well, when doctors went in there, they claimed that it was a lot worse than what they initially thought. The Jets team doctor thought said that he should be able to play the rest of the season and then get surgery after the fact, after the season. And now the Jets decided to cut Osemele because he elected to get that surgery. Well, Osemele's going to file a grievance. And he's being, you know, he was being fined by the Jets a whole lot of money. So I don't understand, like, how the Jets have a leg to stand on here. It doesn't look good for the Jets. It makes them look pathetic. And I don't know why that you would go after a guy like this when he is literally trying. He tried his best and he's saying that he's hurt and he got opinions from other doctors and they're saying that he needed surgery and it was worse when they went in to clean it up. So just a very bad look there. Um, yeah, just not good. So um, yeah, that's going to basically wrap this thing up for the NFL. Uh, I'm not really going to do a preview of this week's games just because by the time you listen to this, it's all, you know, it's all over. Um, these games will have been Basically, the 1 o'clock games will be over by the time you listen to this. Most likely the 4 o'clock games because most people aren't going to listen to this tonight. You'll probably listen Monday or throughout the week. But just know that obviously I'd be taking the Patriots over the Browns. Um, I would have taken the Jaguars over the Jets because they're just an absolute mess. Uh, I would have taken who who else was playing. I don't know. Um, I would have taken the – I know the Chargers played the um, – the Chargers played the Bears. I probably would have taken the Bears in that game just because um, their defense, the Chargers, have been a mess. So, um, yeah, just a couple games. And then I know uh, the, the big games that we have on later in the day, we have the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Green Bay Packers. Like I said, there's a lot of guys banged up on bo- for um, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So I would take the Packers. That, to me, would be the lock of the week because they've just been phenomenal. They can make a case, too, the Packers, that they are the best team in the NFC. So, um, yeah, that, that'll that basically um, do it. I'm a, That'll wrap up this NFL segment um, here on Episode 72. We're going to take a quick break, and then we when we come back, I want to talk NBA. Basically, the start of the NBA season took place on Tuesday night. There was a pair of games there. And then um, basically, I also want to go over something that I think that the NBA needs to make a change to just to basically elevate the gameplay come April and come the playoffs. I'll give you all that and more when we come back from break. So um, quick break and uh, we'll get right back to it. 
okay, we're back and we're going to dive right into NBA. Like I said, the NBA season kicked off this past Tuesday with a pair of games. But before we get to that, Zion Williamson has been dealing with a meniscus injury. So he is going to be out six to eight weeks after undergoing arthroscopic surgery on a torn right lateral meniscus, the number one overall pick. His debut will have to wait just a couple of months. So the earliest side of his recovery would keep him out until the first First week of December. If he misses closer to that eight-week margin, we're looking at about Christmas. So um, either way, that's like a, th- a quarter or a third of a season in which he was favored to win Rookie of the Year. So not looking good there if you bet if you put some money on Zion to win Rookie of the Year. Hopefully you did not. The Celtics, they signed Jalen Brown to a four-year $115 million extension. This is interesting. Brown is the first Celtics player since Rajon Rondo to receive a rookie extension. The Spurs also signed, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, DeJounte, DeWante, Murray. Uh, it's very funny spelling, and I'm not sure exactly how they they pronounce it, but I'm going to go with DeWante, De, I don't know, DeWante Murray to a four-year $64 million extension. If you've never heard of this guy, you have to look back to two years ago when he averaged 8.1 points and 5.7 rebounds, but he reco- he had a torn ACL last year that he was recovering from. He's just 23 years old, showed very high promise as a lockdown defender, and the Spurs are hoping to cash in on that promise and that upside. The Brooklyn Nets, my Brooklyn Nets, they agreed to a contract extension with Torian Prince for two years, $29 million. Okay, the Nets traded for Prince in the offseason, sending Alan Crabb and a pair of first-round picks to Atlanta in that deal that cleared some cap space, so they were able to sign Kyrie and KD. And Torian Prince, which I didn't really know this to be truthful, he is in his fourth year in the NBA and averaged 13.5 points, 3.6 rebounds, and 2.1 assists as a part-time starter in Atlanta this season. I've watched two games with the Nets so far this year, and the guy is a is a gamer. He's a baller. He he plays hard, and he's not afraid to to go in on any scrums and try to die for a loose ball. And, and uh, you know, he, he goes up for rebounds and he does the dirty little things. So I like this kid and it's a good signing. He'll fill in basically at the forward spot and keep the seat warm for uh, Kevin Durant, who is not expected to be back this season. The Utah Jazz, they extended uh, fan favorite Joe Ingles, the Australian. This is a one-year $14 million deal. The deal adds another two years of team control the Jazz already had, keeping him in Utah until or through the 2021-22 season. Ingles is coming off a career season in which he averaged 12.1 points on 39.13-point percentage, three-point shooting with 5.7 assists and four rebounds per game. Another scrappy guy who's going to do the dirty things and help you win a game. Okay, like I said, opening night in the NBA took place on Tuesday. We saw the championship Raptors receive their ridiculously big championship rings. Those things were insane. Okay, they didn't disappoint on the court either. Of course, this is the new look Raptors as Kawhi is now in LA with the Clippers. But uh, yeah, they took this one to OT against the Pelicans and they pulled through 130 to 122. Pascal Siakam led the way with 34 points and 18 rebounds. Fred Van Vliet also scored 34, and I'm 
pretty sure that's a career high for him. This makes the first time that teammates scored 30 apiece in a season opener for the defending NBA champ ever, so that's impressive there. And all in all, it was a successful opening night for the Raptors as they try to defend their title. Okay, um, in the nightcap, which I could not stay up and watch this game, it was the Clippers versus the Lakers, the two teams with the most bets, the most money to win the NBA title. This is shaping up to be a nice rivalry um, this year. The Clippers, of course, they're without Paul George, who they acquired in the offseason. Okay, he's out with an injury for a bit. So naturally, I had a $10 free bet on my bookie, and I was like, you know what? Let me place a bet here on the Lakers. It's the safe bet, I think. You know, LeBron, AD, no Kyle Kuzma, but they should be okay against the Clippers. I go to sleep, and I'm not even feeling good about the game. I just felt when I placed the bet, it was one of those things where I want to bet on the Clippers, and I just can't justify it just because Paul George is out, and it's the first game, and I'm like, it's LeBron, it's Anthony Davis. Come on, this team's got to get a win. Waking up before I even check the game, I'm like, I know what's going to happen. I bet you anything that the Clippers won this game and the Lakers blew it because LeBron always loses. He can never win a big game, it seems. I'm being sarcastic a little bit because he obviously has won a couple of championships, but uh, it just seems like he loses more than he wins. And yeah. I wake up, I check the score. They lost by 10 points, 112 to 102. Just pathetic. Just a horrible way to start your season if you are the Los Angeles Lakers. And to to lose against your rivals now, the Clippers, I mean, this team is going to be really, really good. So um, you have Kawhi, who went for 30 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. For the Lakers, Danny Green, he scored 28 points in his debut This passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most points in a Lakers debut. Kareem had 27, so that is some some serious company to be to be uh, with. And now he holds that record: 28 points in an opening game for the Lakers. That's impressive. There, Um, Wednesday, basically opening night for the rest of the league, including the Nets, the Knicks. Um, Kyrie Irving, he balled out in his Nets debut. I love seeing this. Uh, Kyrie's a local Jersey kid. It's awesome to see him playing with basically the hometown team because they used to be in New Jersey before they made the move to Brooklyn. But he went off for a whopping 50 points. Oh my God. Yes, not an exaggeration. He scored 50 in his debut. It was a tough Overtime loss, 127 to 126 at the hands of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. He had a chance to win it at the buzzer, but the f- the shot fell just off the mark. He was he lost the handle on the ball, and he actually fell down. And then he got back up and still managed to get off a shot that that was that just missed, just clanked off the rim. Okay, and so. They lose that one. And what's even more amazing than him scoring 50, if you could imagine and believe it, is that Kyrie Irving did not turn the ball over one single time. That is unbelievable. I look forward to watching this kid play for a couple years with the Brooklyn Nets, hopefully get them a championship in the next couple of years when Kevin Durant comes back. The the future looks bright for, for Brooklyn. The Knicks, on the other hand, they they lost a tough fight against the Spurs, 120 to 111. Okay, we then saw the Hawks top the Pistons behind 38 points from Trey Young. Um, 
The Bucks overcame a double-digit deficit in the fourth quarter to beat the Rockets 117-111. to Let me back up real quick and talk about the Knicks. Hours before the game, I think it was, they decided to tell um, R.J. Barrett, their rookie out of Duke, the third overall pick, that he would be starting at point guard. I don't think he started a game at point guard in his life. I'll get to more of that in a little bit because they also played the Nets on Friday night. Okay, like I said, the Bucks beat the New Look Rockets 117-111. Giannis had a triple-double, the 15th of his career, but it is the first for a Bucks player on opening night. In a losing effort, Russell Westbrook joined Hakeem Olajuwon as the only Rockets players with 20 points, 15 rebounds, and 5 assists in a season opener in team history. The Clippers they improved to 2-0, and spoiling the Warriors' debut in the new Chase Center. They looked so good, in fact, that it prompted this comment from Reggie Miller. Too high or too low, but this Clipper team, come on, they're for real. Kevin, they are for real. This might be the best defensive team in the league, and it's no question they're going to be a top three seed in the West, and they're going to be ridiculously good um for for some time to come and you know they don't even have Paul George yet the the um the warriors on the other hand this is going to be tough for them because they are now they are no longer the top dog in the west of course they lost Kevin Durant he went to the nets Klay Thompson is most likely out for the year they thought they might be able to get him back for the playoffs but he basically said that's it he's not going to come back and uh, Charles Barkley, I believe it was, had some comments that he made at the end of the first half. Clay Thompson was up in the booth with those guys from TNT, and so he made a comment or two. And uh, I'll get to that in a second. But they add D'Angelo Russell. They still have Steph. You know what you're going to get from him. D'Angelo Russell had 10 straight points at one point in the first quarter to start this game, but then just finished with 20 for the for the rest of the game. But the Clippers are a stout defensive team, so I don't want to you know make any bones about it as far as the Warriors' concerns go for playoff contention. But um, I will say this. I believe they're playing right now and getting absolutely slaughtered down by like 30-something at the half, something to that effect. Um, So yeah, maybe it is a concern for them. Just a slow start, who knows. But the West is stacked, and it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. But here is Klay Thompson and Sir Charles going at it. Rush back to try and win a go to a six straight finals if I'm not 100% because our window to win another championship, I think, is open for the next five, six years. Go ahead, Charles. Well, number one, I hope you get back soon, but you're just wrong. Um, what is he wrong about? Well, I think they won the shut. Uh, Why? Well, because I don't think they can score enough. You, I want to make my, my other prediction, and I was wrong before the game. Mm-hmm. I said they were going to be the 7-8 seed. They're not going to make the playoffs uh, because they just can't, they just can't score enough. You know, you look so at. So you could tell after one half of basketball, playing yes. yes. with the best defensive team, no, the Clippers. Uh, no, but not that, not just that, Candace. You, you know, when you look at your team, you say, okay, Steph can get me 30. De- D'Angelo can get me 20. But Draymond, even though he's a heck of a player, he only going to get me 15. That's not enough in the Western Conference this year. Would you like to respond to that, Clay? Um, I mean, Chuck has the right to be a little pessimist- pessimistic, but I think 
I think these young guys are going to step up, man. I, I mean, I, I, I did a shooting drill with Jordan Poole yesterday. He smoked me three out of five spots, you know. Glenn Robinson has plenty of experience in this league. I really like what Marquise has given us this this training camp. He's we kind of revived him, and and it's uh, I think it's exciting, man. I think we got enough guys to get get us there at least. Yeah, Clay is being very optimistic. There's no chance that the window is open for the next five to six years. The West is absolutely stacked, and this will uh, will go to my hot take that I said at the end of the last segment that I wanted to talk about leading up to this one is that the West has about 10 teams that are very, very good, and it is going to be very intriguing to watch this unplay through 82 games and see how this shakes up with the seeds and who makes the playoffs and who falls short. The East is a wasteland. It is so barren. There are a couple teams. You have the Bucks. I'm not even going to put the Raptors in there right now I'm because they lost Kawhi, so I don't even think that they're going to be that good. You have the 76ers, but we really don't know what are they. If Ben Simmons cannot figure out how to shoot the basketball, I don't think that they can continue to win. The Brooklyn Nets are up there now as a top, I'd say, four seed. Um, there's just maybe four teams in the East that are any good, and there's about 10 in the West. So my proposal that Adam Silver needs to seriously think about, I'm not the only one that has said this, I truly believe that they should take the top 16 teams, whether that is from the um, from the West or the East, and just mash them up, and boom, you play. So that if that means that there are you know 10 teams in the West and only say you know, eight teams in the East, then, or excuse me, that doesn't make sense. 16 teams, sorry. If there are 10 teams in the West and then say six teams in the East, then so be it. But these teams under 500 do not deserve to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference when there's going to be teams that are above 500 in the Western Conference that are missing out on the playoffs. So that's the one change that I would like to see. And I'd like to see it this this year because this is going to be a tough season um, for, for the, uh, the Western Conference and comparing it to the East, it's going to be like night and day. Okay, next up, let's talk about a player that has been suspended. DeAndre Ayton suspended 25 games for testing positive for a banned substance. Stay off the weed! I'm just joking. It was actually a banned diuretic. It was not the weed this time. So basically, he says that... So yeah, I don't know exactly what this was. A masking agent, maybe, per se, whatever. But um, he's going to appeal. He says a follow-up test revealed no banned substances. This was an unintentional mistake, he said. He was the number one pick last season. Had 35 double-doubles for the Suns, which was the most double-doubles, actually, since Carl Anthony Towns had 50 when he debuted. And it's a tough loss for a young Suns team that is just trying to build toward basically anything. They've been so bad for so long. And then if you see the other night, uh, Devin Booker got crossed up so badly. It just, yeah, they, they can't seem to get out of their own way. He could, he could appeal it all he wants. He's not going to win. Those things never get overturned. So keep an eye on that. And then uh, last but not least, last couple things here, the Knicks and the Nets, they um, played on Friday night, rivalry between the two New York teams, obviously, and here's what happened. The Nets had a big lead pretty much throughout the entirety of this game. 
The Knicks came back in the fourth quarter. Nets couldn't get out of their own way, kept turning the ball over. Nets found themselves down by one when Kyrie Irving decided to take over this game. Backs it out. 14 to shoot. 26 seconds to play. Nets are down by one. Irving, step back three. Oh! Kyrie Irving buries it for the lead. And that's Kyrie's spot. I've seen it in Cleveland. People have seen it in Boston. Brooklyn Nets need to understand, when Kyrie wants a key shot, he goes to that right side of the floor. That right side wing, he works, he pulls it back, he takes his time, let me get to my spot. We've seen this. He's hit some big shots from this exact angle. Same thing, work him, get a step back. That is Kyrie's sweet spot, 4-3. And R.J. Barrett hasn't yet been around long enough to watch that. And here's the first one, though, where it began. The crossover, nice, smooth jump. Yeah, so Kyrie Irving couldn't get it done on opening night, but he absolutely hit the game winner for the Nets against the Knicks. I would have been devastated if the Nets lost to the Knicks. For the second straight night, they started. R.J. Barrett at point guard did the Knicks, and he might be their best point guard, so maybe they're on to something, but it's just seriously pathetic, um, f- the fact that they that they are starting R.J. Barrett at point guard. Uh, just just brutal. And then for uh, Russell Westbrook, he had his first career triple-double with the Ro- for the Rockets, I think, yesterday or the day before. He uh, also breaks a tie with that triple-double with Magic Johnson for the second most all-time. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool there. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk baseball, we're going to talk World Series, a couple new managerial hires in the league, and then we'll uh, wrap things up shortly thereafter and get you on your week. So take a quick break, and then we'll come back with some baseball and some World Series predictions. The World Series kicked off this past week. And I've got to catch you guys up. So we're going to start, we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to start with Game 1. This taking place in Houston. The Nats coming in as one of the biggest underdogs since, I think, 2007 in the World Series. And they did something that hasn't been done in a while. They win Game 1 5-4 to four on the road. Juan Soto, at just 20 years old, set the table with a three-hit night, including a solo home run. The win was the first in a World Series for the Washington Nationals franchise. They also became the first team to beat Garrett Cole since May 22nd. That is astounding there. So that was game one. Not too much going on there. They get the win five to four. Okay, we'll pick pick things up with game two in just a bit. But first, we have some managerial hires to discuss. The Cubs have hired David Ross as their new manager, Ross is the former retired catcher and current ESPN baseball analyst. He replaces Joe Madden, just 42 years old, so he will be one of the like third or fourth youngest coach behind Rocco Baldelli, Kevin Cash, and then another guy that was just hired recently in um, Jace Tingler by the Padres, but I'll get to that in a second. So obviously Ross... He won a World Series ring with the Cubs in 2016, and he, like I said, replaces Joe Madden, who was basically fired, parted ways. He went to the Angels uh, last week. So, yeah, so there's that. Um, Ross brought in by his former team that he played for, so that's got to be cool for him. Next up, let's go. Let's shift over to Game 2. I'm going to keep this in chronological order, then I'll get back to some of the managerial hires. The Nationals 
did it again. They won game two on the road in dominating fashion this time. This was their eighth straight win in the postseason. They they beat Garrett Cole in the opener. They came out strong against Justin Verlander, and they whooped them 12-3 in this one. Kurt Suzuki came into this game with just one hit in his previous 23 postseason at-bats. He had two on Wednesday, so that is unbelievable, and they get the big win there. Next up, Joe Girardi. The Mets were looking into hiring him as their next uh, manager. He had a couple of interviews there. Well, lo and behold, the Mets are too cheap. They would not hire him. Joe Girardi has been hired instead by the division rival Philadelphia Phillies. So um, he's 55 years old. Okay, one of the older hires of these of these couple guys that have been hired th- this week. Spent 10 seasons, obviously, with the Yankees, which culminated in that 2009 World Series title. And then prior to last season, they let they they parted ways. And he's been working with MLB Network since. And he, of course, wanted to get back into coaching. There were some thoughts that he might go to the Chicago Cubs just because he's a Chicago native. But no, instead he goes to the Phillies, who they really do have a good core, a good foundation. JT Real Muto. They brought in Bryce Harper. Okay. Um, they they have some good pieces there. And they're going to look to to have a bounce back year. Obviously, Gabe Kapler was their manager for two years. The first year, they showed some promise, but they broke down towards the end of the year and were unable to make the playoffs. And last year just fell apart. So, um, yeah, that's a good hire there for the Phillies. Now back to this guy, Tingler. The Padres have hired Jace Tingler to be their new manager. He is 38 years old, so he's going to be, I think, now the third youngest uh, manager in baseball or So um, he is the player development field coordinator for the Rangers. He has ties to GM AJ Preller of the Padres. So that's um, probably why he got hired there. He has an interesting journey, does Tingler. He is a Missouri native. He did play in college and was selected by the Blue Jays in the 2003 MLB draft. He spent just four years, though, in the minor leagues. Uh, This is crazy to me. I didn't read if there was an injury that took place or anything, but that's most likely what would have happened is like some sort of career-ending injury. He made it as high as AA only in four years and then decided just to leave his playing days behind him to pursue coaching, and he's done it all. He's managed... Um, in the Dominican Summer League. He's worked in the Rangers minor league system, and he also spent time as an assistant GM, jack-of-all-trades, apparently. Um, Currently, he's managing the Rangers Dominican Winter League, so he will be the Padres' new manager, and it is going to be the sixth straight manager that the Padres hire that has zero prior managerial experience. So, um, yeah, that is a head-scratcher for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in probably over a decade that hasn't even sniffed um, World Series hopes. I don't know why you would continue to hire first-year managers. That is just mind-boggling to me. So, um, yeah, we'll see what Jace Tingler can do. He replaces um, he replaces uh, Green there who who was fired after the season after a disappointing season um in which they brought in Manny Machado and they just had very high hopes and, and just couldn't get things done there okay there is another um an MLB umpire under fire for a tweet that he sent out or a pair of tweets 
people need to realize this does not just extend to the players, but it extends to adults and the uh, professionals as well. So veteran umpire Rob Drake, I'll break this down for you. He sent out a basically, I don't, I don't know if he threatened necessarily, but he put it out on Twitter on Tuesday that he was going to buy an AR-15 in preparation for another civil war if the president were impeached. So basically, he is a big-time Donald Trump fan. He supports the president. And what he is saying is that if they try to impeach the president, he thinks there will be an uproar and an upheaval that will spark a civil war. And he's saying, oh, I'm going to go buy an AR-15 just in case that happens because I'm going to need to protect myself. Well, the tweet was since deleted, okay? And MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred stepped in and said he would take a look into the tweet. He has since locked his Twitter account. I haven't heard any update whether he's been fined, suspended, or fired even. So um, something to just keep an eye on. Maybe we'll hear about it, maybe not. Okay, next up, let's talk about uh, Kime Bloom. He is set to be the new GM of the Red Sox. He was the senior VP of baseball ops for the Rays. He will replace Dave Dombrowski, who was fired by the Red Sox despite winning the World Series last year. This is um, a world we live in of what ha- in in which uh, what have you done for me lately takes precedence over everything. And the Red Sox won a World Series a year ago, but this year failed to make the postseason. So that's going to fall on somebody. And in this case, it happens to be their general manager, Dave Dombrowski. The Blue Jays head athletic trainer, Nikki Huffman, she has decided to leave the organization. She was brought in from Duke four years ago after working with Marcus Stroman during his ACL rehab in 2015. She then quickly worked her way up the ladder being named head athletic trainer in 2017, but she decided she's going to leave the team to start her own business. So um, yeah, one of the few women in the sport. And uh, yeah, uh, I wish her nothing but the best, but uh, yeah, that was pretty cool to see a female head athletic trainer for a uh, organization, for a team. And if she's coming from Duke, she's obviously very good and knows what she's doing. Carlos Carrasco, he won the 2019 Roberto Clemente Award. He went through a lot over the past year. The report, So basically, the Roberto Clemente Award is given annually to a player who demonstrates the values Hall of Famer Roberto Clemente displayed with a commitment to their community and helping others. So Carrasco, at 32 years old, was diagnosed with a treatable form of leukemia back in May. He was sick and sidelined for months during the season. Obviously, he underwent chemo and was in and out of the hospital. He returned to the mound on September 1st. Miraculously enough, he was a um, frequent visitor of hospitals, meeting with children fighting the disease while he also received treatment for his illness. So um, congratulations to there, and I hope he stays cancer-free for the rest of his life. And then you have Araldis Chapman and um, Josh Hader being named your 2019 Relievers of the Year. The two closers there each had 37 saves to lead their respective leagues. Hader had 138 strikeouts compared to Chapman's 85 only. So, so yeah, wow. And then, um, so we had, let's talk about Game 3 of the World Series on Friday night. That also happened to be Juan Soto's birthday. It was not a great birthday as the Astros came into D.C. and got a 4-1 to victory. Anibal Sanchez got the nod for the Nats. Opposing him was Zach Granke. The Strohs jumped on the board with a pair of runs in the second and third innings. 
The Nats did cut the lead to one after Ryan Zimmerman walk and then a triple by Victor Robles, but the Astros tagged on another run in the fifth and capped it with a Robinson Chirinos home run. This was a must-win game for the Houston Astros. If they would have dropped this series to 3-0, forget about it. It would have been practically a sweep, if you ask me. So uh, they this was a must-need must victory, and they got it done. Um, so... That's all she wrote there in Game 3, sorry. And then we had Game 4 last night, which was even worse for the Nats. So the road team has won every game so far in this series. Uh, the, Nat, uh, the Astros jumped on the board again early in the first inning yesterday, all over Patrick Corbin. They score a pair of runs. In the fourth inning, Chirinos homered for the second straight night, a guy that didn't seem to be like seemed to be able to get a hit at all. He comes up big two two nights in a row, a two-run shot, giving the Astros a 4-0 lead. The Nats did get one run back in the sixth inning on a Juan Soto ground out, but in the top of the seventh, it would be all she wrote for the Nats. Here's the 0-1. High fly ball. and blows open game number four here in the seventh against the Nationals bullpen. Yeah, that was the grand slam for Bregman. That would be all she wrote for them there. Um, The Nats now drop two in a row, and this series is evened up at two apiece. There's one more game tonight at 8 o'clock. And if the Nats can't get it done, I'm I'm afraid that this is going to be all over. It's going to be difficult now even for the Nats if they do win this game to go back to Houston and try to pull off two victories there or get a victory there. Um, it's, yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, who knows what could happen? The Astros have been up and down. They seem to just come back from these from these deficits. Um, in the series and then and then take the lead and then just fight and fight and 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 take you out of it the Nats though their eight game winning streak was snapped two nights ago two games ago and for that eight game win streak in the playoffs they trailed for just 12 innings and I know in the first game game three I think they trailed for eight out of those nine innings so that just goes to show you how things can change on a whim and on a dime. And now all the pressure is back on the Nationals. So this should wrap up to be a very, very entertaining World Series in 2019. And my prediction is going to continue to be, I, I said the Astros before the series, before the um, playoffs started, and I'm sticking with them just simply because they have the pitching and they have the most complete team, in my opinion. And even their bullpen has stepped it up. Everybody thought they had a weak bullpen, but it has proven to be um to be dominant and even despite the the noise from the outside despite what's been going on inside the organization for the Astros and which has been making headlines with their assistant GM so I don't know if I talked about this but their assistant GM um Brandon Taubman was in fact fired earlier in the week so what happened was in the game against the Game six against the New York Yankees. Their closer, Roberto Osuna, came in the game. He 
gave up a two-run homer to DJ LeMahieu to tie the game. They would go on to win it in the bottom half of the ninth inning in a walk-off. After the game in the clubhouse, when there are reporters in there, Roberto Asuna was a former guy that was with the Blue Jays, and they made the trade for him, the um, Astros did, even though he had a domestic violence assault charge against him. And so Taubman is in the clubhouse with female reporters and he's screaming expletives f this f that we're effing glad we got him here and he's basically pointing at these female reporters as he's saying that which is disgraceful disgusting basically saying we don't care that he that a guy will hit a woman or shove a woman or punch a woman or whatever okay and he's saying it right to these women. And I get it. The emotions of the moment are there. You're going to the World Series. But you got to be better than that. You're a professional. And I curse more than anybody. I have the worst mouth of anybody. And it's probably my Napoleon, Napoleonic, my Napoleon complex there for being so short. But never in a professional setting amongst reporters or people from the outside, the media world, would I ever yell expletives like that? I know when to bite my tongue and when to act professionally, and this was a setting that he was supposed to act professionally, and he did not do it. So it's a bad look, and what made it even worse is the Astros came out and at first made a statement saying that it's lies, that SI would report those, 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 um, you know, remarks that he would never say that, that he was yelling across the clubhouse to Osuna or in his general direction or whatever, and he wasn't yelling it at these women. And then there was more that came out and more that came out and an investigation. And then the Astros decided to fire him, rightfully so. But whoever decided to come out at first with that first statement and say that he's innocent and that that never happened should also be held accountable because that's disgusting. So despite all of that, the Astros were able to focus on baseball and come back down two games to none, win two games in a row on the road, and they have a third game on the road tonight, and we'll see if they can get it done. Max Scherzer was slated to start for the Nationals, but he has apparently some neck and back issues or something maybe slept wrong so now he is scratched and he will not start in this game so once again you have advantage Houston Astros can't make this stuff up so okay I think with that being said that is going to break up this segment my baseball segment we're going to take another quick break and then I'm going to go over some what's trending um and uh, on this date in sports, and then we'll get you guys out of here. Okay, so we are back, and I just want to wrap things up. I won't take too much of your time, about five, ten minutes here, and then we'll get this thing um, moving along, chugging along. Some what's trending in sports right now. We had Nate Diaz scheduled to fight Jorge Masvidal, I don't know that he tested positive or he kind of backed out of the fight because of a funky little uh, test that went on there. Somehow, some way, I don't know enough about the UFC. This fight is now back on. Um, he came out, he had comments to say um, about what he tested for, whatever, just drawing back and forth. But now the fight is is back on. And I think this is a December fight scheduled for December. This should be great because this guy, Masvidal, if you know UFC, 
even if you don't, I saw this fight. He was the guy that knocked out Ben Askren in about five seconds for the quickest knockout in UFC history. This guy is a crazy SOB, and so is Nate Diaz. He went toe-to-toe with McGregor, so this should be a great, 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 great fight. So I look forward to that. Um, Some other news, we have... um, Tiger Woods at the Zozo Championship in Japan. He holds a three-stroke lead headed into the final round. It was suspended. It is going to resume at about 6.30, so he has a three-stroke lead. See if he could get it done and get the W there at the Zozo Championship. And then Alex Morgan, the U.S. Women's National Team player, she is um, pregnant with, um, I believe it's her first child, And um, if you do the correct math, the baby is due in, I think, April. That's about nine months from the time of the uh, world, you know, the end of the World Cup. So that's uh, pretty, pretty interesting there. You know, that's a World Cup baby right there um, if you're doing the math. And then um, they did hire a new a new head coach to take over the U.S. women's national team because obviously Jill Ellis, she decided to, I guess, call it quits or retire. The um, U.S. women's national team, they hired Vlatko Andonovsky to replace her. He will be um, basic. So he is currently coaching Rain FC of the National Women's Soccer League. And Players, according to this, I think it was Sports Illustrated report, players have been consulted during the search, and Andonovsky was their top pick. I know nothing about this guy. This is not an American name, so I don't even know where he comes from. But if the players want him, it really shouldn't matter. Um, the, the U.S. Ha- has the best female soccer players basically in the world, and they have become a very dominating force on the pitch. So, uh, yeah, this should be just business as usual. And then um, I want to see, make sure I'm not missing anything um, that I didn't already talk about. I think I pretty much covered everything. Um, I told you Patrick Mahomes is not playing tonight. So you have the world's, you have Monday night football, obviously, between the two and four Steelers and the Miami Dolphins. Kenyon Drake, it was reported he is not going to play amid trade conversations and trade talk. So possibly look for him to be on the move in the next couple days, maybe by the weekend. Um, so that's kind of a snoozer. You've got Mahomes and company, well, minus Mahomes because he won't play tonight, hosting the Green Bay Packers in Sunday night football. Um, you've got the World Series picking up, so they will play Game 5 tonight in in Washington. Um, the president, Donald Trump, he did not want to throw out the first pitch out of respect for the fans because he said for him, him to arrive early, it would cause a delay in people and fans getting in the stadium. So he is going to be at the game, but he said he is going to arrive later after the start of the game just to respect people getting into the stadium. And then... Um, what else did I want to say? There was, I think, one other thing that I wanted to go over. Um, I can't really remember. Oh, so yeah, if they, depending on what happens, to, well, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens tonight, whoever wins, they will go back to Houston. I guess Monday will be an off day, and then Tuesday they will pick up with game six. So you could watch that. Then you have next week um, Thursday night football, of course, which will be taking place between the... Who plays next week? I'm trying to think. I think it's the 49ers and the Cardinals, a pair of NFC West opponents. So there's that. And then uh, last but not least, let's just jump right into it because I'm running out of things to talk about. Let's go to On This Date in Sports. 
the um let's see where what did I want to talk about oh so in 2003 there was a Monday night football game between the San Diego Chargers and the Miami Dolphins that was had to be played in Tempe Arizona the game had to be moved from San Diego due to wildfires that was October 27th 2003 flash forward 16 years and yep still having wildfires in the state of California, something we need to clean up. And then I'll give you some bonus. Barry Bonds in uh, October 27, 2004, just a year later, his 700th home run ball was sold at auction for $804,129. And then also Emmett Smith of the Dallas Cowboys in 2002 became the all-time leading rusher in the NFL when he extended his career yardage to 16,743 yards. He achieved the record in his 193rd game. He also scored his 150 career, 150th career touchdown in that game. Guys, um, I appreciate you for listening in and tuning in. I'm sorry that I did this episode on a Sunday. I hope the audio sounds a lot more crisper and a lot clearer. I'll try to fix that up a little bit, tweak it a little bit better as we're going along. I noticed towards the end, I maybe had the gain a little bit too low, so you might have to up your volume just a smidge, but it should sound a little bit clearer, crisper. I'm using a whole new setup, a whole new microphone and a new mixer, and I think it sounds great. With that being said, guys, enjoy your week. Hopefully you won in fantasy football. I lost last week, but it looks like thank you. God, I'm going to bounce back this week and get the victory, hopefully. So, um, yeah, improve to 7-1. and one. I would greatly appreciate that. With that being said, guys, this has been Episode 72 of This Week in Sports. Pody signing out. <music> <laughs>